Production support comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922 with residential and business internet, phone, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net. Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times, along with co-host Mary Catherine Carmichael. Today we're going to talk about the drought that's been gripping our area for the last few months and uh, about water issues in general. We have three guests with us in the studio. Uh, Hank Heichema is with us. He is emeritus professor specializing in groundwater for the IU School of Public and Environmental Affairs. Mark Bash is here. He's section head, Water Rights and Use, Indiana Department of Natural Resources. And Pat Murphy is with us. He's director of utilities for the city of Bloomington. You can join us on the program by calling 855-0811 or 877-285-9348. You can join a live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition. You can even follow us on Twitter at noon edition. So wouldn't you know it, it's, you know, <laughs> the rain is uh, going to hit us here really soon. Water's in the, in the news. One way or another, a big time right now. So either too much of it or not enough. That's so it's true. a good show for the day. Yeah, we're going to get a lot of water, but it's not going to solve our problems, is it? So, uh, Pat Murphy, let's start with you about uh, sort of the local issues. The city of Bloomington has um, has been under water restrictions now for, what, about three weeks? They went into effect on uh, August 13th, Bob. Okay, and so. we, uh, as when we initiated those water restrictions... Uh, we uh, determined that within 15 days we would review those, and we did review with the internal staff and working group uh, the restrictions uh, on August 27th. And our, we determined in a recommendation to the mayor that we continue those. It would be prudent to continue them for another 15 days. I'd like to say that they've been, they've been effective. I think the combination of the weather... Uh, some rainfall and cooperation across the board in this community has allowed us to meet pretty close to the goals we were we were shooting for. We were hoping for a 20% reduction. We're looking at about 18%. We were pumping approximately average 21 million gallons. We're mid-17s. So we are successful, I think, in, in our efforts. And, and really, it's a tribute to the community. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've answered about 200 questions. We've responded to about 18 perceived violations. Our approach has been education, sharing information with uh, our customers. The way the uh, restrictions were set up is that we could write warnings the first time, and then there was a second warning, there was a fine. But really, that wasn't our goal. Our goal was to share information, to inform, and to participate, uh, have everyone participate. And I think it's been a resounding success. Now, as I understand it, the issue was really with the pumping machinery working at capacity. Right. So what would have happened if that would have gone kaplooey? Well, the technical term. <laughs> yeah. Kaplooey. Well, one, that's, that's how I, I always like to say, as you know, I'm not an engineer. Those are the kind of words I use. Uh, one of the things that, that we were looking, what the issue could have been was when when we uh, went forward with the expansion, a couple things that we were looking at were being able to meet peak demand, but also uh, investing in a plant that was 43 years old, making necessary upgrades, but also having the ability to deal with issues of redundancy and also being able to deal with any type of stresses that were put on the plant. As the plant's now configured, we have four high service pumps. We have uh, 24 million gallon capacity. We will expand to 30 million. What um, what the problem could have been is is it was one where we would not be able to s- catch up to fill our storage tanks during our off peak hours. We have seven storage tanks throughout the community, and what we were seeing, for example, on July. So, so hold on one second before you go forward. Those sto- those storage tanks they hold. Clean water right. ready for uh, use? For example, the one, water that's been treated. Right. There's a storage tank at the plant. That's the final uh, b- uh, filtering process. That 
holds five million gallons, and then that pumps the water. It doesn't. We don't send it directly as as a rule. It goes into that storage tank for a certain amount of time, and then we control it through our SCADA system, and we send it into town. And I mean, clearly, that what what you were seeing was a configuration of unprecedented heat. Uh, there was an unprecedented drought. Uh, we're in excessive drought conditions. And we've, we were, were a, a bigger community. So the, the, the concerns were redundancy, reliability, and being able to meet those peak demands. And one of the things that triggered it was on July 26th, um, which was a, a very hot day. Um, we, I think, pumped for 17 hours approximately 23.7 million gallons. That's putting a lot of, a lot of stress on the plant. Um, we were running four of our high-service pumps. Uh, what we're going to do is add a fifth high-service pump and put a new pump in down at the large intake tower. We're building a third basin. We're building a, a, a second line at 44,000 linear feet. What's a basin? Uh, that's a treatment basin where the water comes in and you hit it with oh, okay. uh, alum that allows it, the solids to settle out. Uh, we're going to put a two million, million, million gallon storage tank at uh, Harrow and um, Roar Road. If you drive down Harrow, you can see it. It's pretty impressive. And there'll be a 12 million gallon uh, uh, pump there that can be expanded to 24. So through the foresight of, of the Utility Service Board and the council, they, they met you know, and passed uh, the uh, uh, ordinance to address these future problems of reliability, redundancy, <clears throat> and demand, and what um, what we saw was that that demand because of the the weather and the drought, um, which is all one thing, were really really putting a, a stress on us, and we and we didn't have any room for air or a margin, and through these restrictions, we've been able to do that. Uh, so that that set the stage. We will have the plant complete in June July of two thousand thirteen. I'm picturing you and a few engineers pacing on the evening of July 26 out at the plant. Watch. Well, it, it was really triggered before that, uh, and that, that's uh, that's a pretty accurate uh, assessment um, of what transpired. Uh, I spent a lot of time at the plant over the weekend of the July 4th and 5th just going out, visiting with the operators. The other thing that, that should be noted is is it's it's not only – uh, the construction of infrastructure. It's the quality of the staff that the city of Bloomington Utilities has. The operators that are, are watching the plant um, are exceptional in what they do. And also, not only the operators, but the maintenance staff. Mm-hmm. So we, were, we are fortunate to have that quality of, of person working for us. But um, their job will be a little easier once we, we complete the plant expansion. All right. Our phone numbers are 855-0811-877-285-9348. And you can join us online, org slash noon edition. Um, we have uh, Mark Bash with us. He can give us a little bit more of a state perspective. So Bloomington was not alone, I assume, in some of the water use issues from the drought. Certainly. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, Bob. Um, and really what... As you indicated, this is more of a state perspective, and I was going to just touch on a couple of the uh, the programs that we have statewide that are um, actually administered by our office there at the Division of Water through the Department of Natural Resources. But um, initially, there would be the um, the registration of significant water withdrawal facilities throughout the state, and certainly the the City of Bloomington is one of those um, that they pump out of uh, of Lake Monroe. Those facilities, any, anyone who has the capability of pumping at least 100,000 gallons per day, which is about 70 gallons per minute, would register with us and then report water use annually. And this is a program that's been in place statewide uh, since 1985, the first year that reporting was done. And it is, is really a nice historic perspective, a nice database of these facilities. And there are about a little over 3,700 registered facilities. So some of them are commercial and some are – are there any private that, that actually go through you? Certainly. Actually, there's, there's like six water use categories that are, that are defined within the significant water withdrawal facility program. And they would include you know, private – usually it's like industry, agriculture. We would have public water supply would be part of that, rural use, miscellaneous use. Um, there, you know, it covers the entire gamut of water use. So it doesn't really matter 
what you're doing it for, you're going to fit in one of those categories if you have that capability. And again, that's for either groundwater or surface water withdrawals. Mm-hmm. And obviously, like Bloomington surface water withdrawal, that's what mm-hmm. they're um, reporting to us, their withdrawals. So that program, as I mentioned, has been around since 85. So we have several years of data. That's wonderful to look at in terms of trends. Mm-hmm. The that that particular registration requirement kind of ties into uh, a, a real busy program that we've had in the last few months, and that's the water rights provisions. And in Indiana, the water rights law provides protection to owners of small capacity wells, like a domestic well, um, anything that has less than that 100,000 gallon per day mm-hmm. capability against the impacts of the high capacity facility. So if you have a, a large industrial or municipal or irrigation well that's pumping lowering water levels that causes a nearby domestic well to fail our department is responsible to investigate those complaints and determine if indeed that mm-hmm. that well has failed because of that how frequently do you get complaints well in a usual year mm-hmm. <laughs> we, we might average about oh maybe 100 to 150 complaints from individuals this year in the months of just June and July, we probably did 150, probably close to 200 um, for that time period. Mm-hmm. So, and obviously, when you're looking, and a lot of those are related to agricultural pumping, uh, certainly public water supply. You know, as we heard about the peak demands of the utilities, folks that are using groundwater for public supply are going to be stressed and and pumping large amounts, and so the potential impacts on surrounding domestic wells are certainly there. So, mm-hmm. well, I know. Uh, you know, around the country, water rights is a is a major issue of some states and some other areas. Is is it has it become a, more of a significant issue in Indiana? Oh, I think, and in fact, Indiana with this water rights statute, mm-hmm. which was really initiated back in the early '80s because of the Prudential uh, situation in northwestern Indiana. Prudential had a large farm equipped with um, about seven thousand acres of the twenty three thousand acres was actually irrigated, and uh, in the early '80s there were hundreds of domestic and livestock wells that were impacted by the pumping. And, and in response to that, the legislature passed the water rights law and put it in place in 83 for those two counties. And then it expanded to all 92 counties a couple years later. Um, Indiana still looks at groundwater rights as uh, kind of a common law approach where the water is available there for you to use. Um, you know, as long as it's for a reasonable beneficial purpose, and that's defined kind of in, this, in the law, However, if it's groundwater and you were to pump it and impact a surrounding domestic well you know, or a small capacity well, um, then you would be liable for that impact. I see. Okay. Well, Hank, I, I want to uh, – we're going to expand this even further because you, know, you're, you are the emeritus professor specializing in groundwater for IU School of Public and Environmental Affairs. I, uh, you know, I, I alluded to the fact that I know out in western – the western part of the United States, there are water issues. And then if you go global, there are huge water issues in, in some countries. So you know, the, we have a local issue here that you know, Pat's talked about and Mark talked about, you know, some state issues and how, how the drought has Im, had an impact uh, lo- locally in, in, in the state. Um, but water is going to be a big issue for us for quite some time to come, is it not? Yes, uh, Bob, that is true. And it has already been a big issue for quite a while as well. Uh, currently, there are appro- approximately 1.1 billion people, that is one-sixth of the world population, that do not have access to adequate, safe water. Uh, and 2.2 billion, mostly children, regretfully, uh, die every year uh, from a scarcity of water quality-related problems. So there is an enormous uh, global water problem. Mm-hmm. And it's actually strange that we have it because the earth is very water-rich. We have an abundance of water. Uh, and, in, and even if it comes to the usable part of all that water, because the oceans which are salt are not use, considered usable. They are usable in other ways, but not for drinking water. Uh, only 1% is usable. And of that 1%, 99% is in groundwater, uh, and, which explains a little bit. I'm a groundwater hydrologist. And, mm-hmm. and right. But um, that, that water is usable... Uh, but it's not evenly distributed over the globe. And that's where the problem is. So that in, in arid and semi-arid regions, uh, there is considerably less water 
and, and more difficult to access that water than, let's say, in the human Midwest where we live. Mm -hmm. And while we have inconveniences, uh, as Pat pointed out, with, with, a, with don't water your lawn and don't wash your car, we're dealing in those areas with people who lack the basic access to basic water use. Mm -hmm. So the, uh, what areas are you talking, when you talk about arid areas, correct? Oh, obviously, um, uh, these, these are the desert, desert areas. areas. These are the, the, along the equatorial region, across Africa. Africa is a prime area, but the Middle East mm -hmm. is, an, is an example of that as well. Mm -hmm. And, of course, we have our own uh, semi-arid areas in the western part of the country, as you indicated in right. your opening question. Yeah, I, I, one, you know, one of the things I, I think about sometimes, you know, we – if we turn on our, our water faucet here in Bloomington and <laughs> something wrong with it, we're going to get mad at Pat and you know be all worked up about it. But there, but we're really very fortunate. When I, I was looking at some in, information this morning um, about you know a lot of those areas that you're talking about where there's 1.1 billion people that don't have access to water. Mm -hmm. There are, you know, I think I saw one graphic that showed that that for women that's the biggest work part of their workday is like walking. A total of three hours a day to, just to get water for the family. Yeah, women walk approximately, women and children on average in Africa walk approximately six kilometers to, just to get water. And much of that water is of very poor quality. Mm -hmm. And uh, so one of the things we need to keep in mind with water shortage, we need to just not just define it in availability of that water uh, theoretically. Uh, in many of those areas, if you would drill uh, deep wells, uh, you could pump adequate amounts of water. So it's infrastructure as well. Mm -hmm. There is no education how to get to the water, how to use the water responsibly, uh, and there is no infrastructure to get to the water and to distribute it. Mm -hmm. All right. Our phone numbers again, 855-0811-877-285-9348. And the live chat, you can join that at wfiu.org slash noon edition. Oh, go ahead, Bob. Oh, I was just going to go back to Pat um, for a minute because I think Blo the history of Bloomington in a lot of ways is tied to water. I mean, there, there have Lake Monroe was built in 19 1967. 1967. Yeah. And, and before that, it was yeah. Lake... Uh, well, there's, there's, you just go through the lakes that we know. Lake Lemon. Mm -hmm. uh, Griffey actually was a, a water source for the city of Bloomington, uh, but they uh, stopped using that, that facility. Uh, Twin Lakes... Uh, so uh, around the Weimer Lake. So there's a, a historical narrative that uh, Bloomington has been uh, tied to water, and in particular Indiana University. We, we have a staffer who serves as our historian, and I, and I know if you go back in the archives, I can't specifically cite the, the dates, but I know there was significant discussion in both the 19th and 20th century about the impact of water and the ability for IU to uh, exist and continue to be in Bloomington. So uh, that is a narrative that has been around for quite a bit. And um, as, as Mark uh, talks about in his capacity at, at DNR, we are fortunate to have uh, Lake Monroe. And as we've said a lot during this time, there's not a supply problem. There, there's just being able to uh, to meet the demands, uh, Bloomington and, and Lake Monroe. Uh, Lake Monroe has about a firm capacity of 70 million gallons a day. Uh, it can provide 47 million gallons a day without any replenishment of the lake, i.e., runoff. It's it's a surface water and primarily is uh, accumulates runoff, but. Obviously, there are springs and other, other things that replenish it a, as well. So that supply is, is very good. Uh, normal pool level at Lake Monroe is 538 feet. And I, before I, I, I came here, I checked, and it's 536.3. And if you put that in uh, plain talk, it's about 20.4 inches down from its norm, normal pool level. So... Uh, the, the supply at Lake Monroe is is something that um, was you know there to address a need when the Corps built it. It was also built for for control of of flooding on the on the Wabash and Ohio rivers. I think primarily the Ohio. So it has a long history. Uh, it's got about 
a hundred year shelf life, but uh, we did a water quality study in two thousand water supply quality study in two thousand seven and um, there 's nothing that 's indicating that that hundred years is problematic and and you know i 'm sure Mark could talk about you know what what the long range plan is if if there 's sedimentation and things like that mm-hmm. so we have a phone call let 's go to Wayne on the phone Wayne hi hey wayne the, the, hi the, the, the nation of Israel has a very efficient agriculture, and I understand that this efficiency is achieved almost entirely by irrigation, and they have a special kind of irrigation they call drip irrigation, in which they can deliver water very effectively, right, I I think it's right to the roots of the plants. In other words, they don't use much water, but they achieve very great results with it. Are you familiar with that drip irrigation, and and how, how does it work, or what do you think about it? Yeah, I, this is Hank Hachima. I am not an expert on irrigation, but, but you're absolutely right that there are different techniques of irrigation, drip irrigation, as you described it accurately, being one of them, that are considerably more efficient than our traditional ways of simply spraying water over the, over the land. Uh, often, uh, on average, we waste 50% if not more, of all the water that we use for irrigation. And so what the Israelis have done, because they have really tight water supply, they have a shortage of water. Uh, They're in an arid zone, they're close to the sea, which involves its own problems. If they pump too much water, salt water will intrude in the underground, and they would be prevented from pumping that water in the future. So they need to take all kinds of measures to preserve water, and drip irrigation is one of them. And it, and it's a, it has its own problems, uh, uh, and, and, a, and we need an agricultural expert to point that out. But by and large, it is a great way to preserve water. You know, and it seems also to me, if you have an arid land where you have lots, of, lots and lots of sunshine, you can get a huge efficiently, efficient agriculture if you can if you can effect- effectively irrigate the plants because they have all that sunshine. Is that, is that true? Uh, I would agree with you. Th- th- thank you very much. All right. Thanks, Wayne. Phone numbers are 855-0811-877-285-9348. The web address is wfiu.org slash noon edition. Um, Pat, uh, how many different entities? So we should maybe give a little more detail about Lake Monroe. It's not owned by the city of Bloomington. It's, it was, I mean, it was, op, it was developed by the Corps of Engineers. Correct? That's right. Uh-huh. And it is managed by uh, the Indiana Department of Natural Resources. Mm-hmm. So we are, um, we are entitled to average, uh, we have a contract, um, $33 per million gallon, and we are um, authorized to, on average, uh, average withdrawal of 24 million gallons a day. Okay. So, and Mark, how many? Do you know how many different entities use the lake for water? Their water supply. I think there are currently five contracts that we have for water withdrawals. There was one we had six, and one um, no longer is. I think it was Bedford City of Bedford no uh-huh. longer exercises their contract. But uh, we have yeah five entities now that purchase water by contract. Uh, again, Bloomington obviously being the primary user mm-hmm. of the water. Um, but um, yeah, and there's a couple golf courses that uh, they utilize it. Uh, I think the Boy Scouts have a contract with us uh, for it. So, And how, how many different um, you know, lakes like Lake Monroe does the DNR operate? There are, again, and these would be lakes, as, as um, Bob was saying, they, these are lakes that were built by the Corps, but at the time they were built, the state of Indiana basically funded a water supply component. So uh, these lakes both. There would be Lake Monroe. The primary, three primary ones would be Lake Monroe, Brookville, and Patoka okay. are the three. And then there's some smaller ones. There's uh, Hardy Lake and I think a couple others um, that are Mrs. more. Mississippi? No. No. Uh, and, and a lot of those are just flood control. They're not. The state does not have the, um, uh, the component that they purchase for water supply. And obviously the water supply component would be in areas where there's limited water availability, particularly with respect to, to groundwater. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, Hank had mentioned about, you know, the arid parts of the western, you know, United States. And, you know, you get into southern Indiana, relatively speaking, when you're looking for groundwater supplies, it's, it's fairly limited. Mm-hmm. And therefore, these obviously, these reservoirs 
um, do a, uh, an amazing job of providing water. Uh, Monroe supplies um, uh, several uh, different entities uh, within, I believe it's Brown and Monroe County, two counties, whereas Patoka, uh, they sell water to uh, the Patoka Regional to about 12, 11 or 12 counties. So it's a pretty extensive area that that reservoir supplies. Um, Brookville um, has just a couple folks that uh, withdraw from that. So, mm-hmm. All right. We're, we're talking about uh, the drought that has affected uh, our local area as well as water issues throughout the state, the nation, and the rest of the world. Uh, you're listening to Noon Edition. We'll be right back. This is Noon Edition on WFIU. Production support comes from Smithville. Information at smithville.net. You can take WFIU with you by downloading podcasts directly to your PC, Mac, or MP3 player. Programs such as Noon Edition, Ask the Mayor, and Harmonia, and short features like Kinsey Confidential, the Ether Game Musical Mini Quiz, and Play and Opera Reviews are all available on demand. Pick them up at WFIU.org. And have you heard WFIU's news features? The WFIU News Team brings you expanded and in-depth reports on topics affecting South Central Indiana. Catch the Friday feature just after 8.30 during Morning Edition, just before Noon Edition, and at 5.45 during All Things Considered. They're also archived on our website, WFIU.org. Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Salzberg from the Herald Times along with Mary Catherine Carmichael and our three guests today, Mark Bache with the uh, section, he's a section head of the Water Rights and Use Indiana Department of Natural Resources. Hank Heidschema is the emeritus, is an emeritus, emeritus a professor specializing in groundwater with the IU School for Public and Environmental Affairs and Pat Murphy is with us, director He's the Director of Utilities for the City of Bloomington. Uh, call us at 855-0811 in Bloomington or 877-285-9348. You can also join a live chat at wfiu.org slash Noon Edition. And you can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. So we're going to go right to the phones. Christine has been patiently waiting. Christine? Uh, yes. I'm, I'm very interested in the water issue because my neighborhood – has lots of water problems. I think all the topsoil was stripped off in the 60s, and there's very poor percolation of, of rainwater into the, into the soil. I haven't had a lot of problems with flooding in my basement, but many of the people do. But we do have a, a, a little river that flows, uh, especially when there's been prolonged heavy rains, and it's just not possible for the water to absorb anymore. Um, now, I was wondering, is it possible to uh, build a cistern, for instance, in the city limits that could save some of that heavy rainwater that we get in the spring and preserve it for these summer droughty times that we've had for several years in a row? What I understand is that that's going to be a, a pattern that we're going to see a lot in the future. Um, and I just wondered what the feasibility was. I have a friend who's got like a $10,000 or 10,000-gallon cistern out in the county that just is feeds water from his roof. Pat? I think that um, I'm not sure, obviously, when, you, when you're collecting water, and it's probably also a, a question of what you can do and can't do with, with mm-hmm. zoning, um, assuming you're in the corporate limits of Bloomington. But, right. but clearly, uh, that's something that uh, I think the community w- would look at. Uh, the whole issue uh, of using gray water. Uh, I like to point out, because uh, it's been brought to us uh, quite a few times over the last couple weeks, uh, people were um, suggesting that the city was not following their own guidelines because they were watering uh, grass at Miller Showers Park. But that that system is similar to what you just described in mm-hmm. terms of recycling the existing water. Um, I, if you'd like, uh, um, you can, um, with that question, um, contact 
uh, the utilities department. Uh, you can find me uh, in an email. I'm online, uh, murphyp at bloomington.in.gov, and I'd be happy to um, look into that for you a little more and share any information that I can provide. Yeah, it just seems like uh, we're our, the flooding that happens in on the Mississippi starts in our backyard. <laughs> right? And so the more water we can keep here, especially when we need it, uh, the better off that would be in terms of a total strategy. So, Okay, well, thank you. I'll, All right. you, uh, I'll contact you. Thank you. Sure. Thanks, Christine. I, I want to mention, Pat, I, a lot of the, uh, some of these major projects, stormwater projects and whatnot, they're going on around the city. Um, well, like Miller Showers Park was a major stormwater project. Right. Correct? I mean, yeah. people like to think of it as a park project, but the utilities service. Was, was part, part of the process. There, there are, it's water filtration as it moves down through Cascades Park. And, right. Right. It's all sort of tied together. Sure. Right. Okay. Sure. Our phone number is 855-0811-877-285-9348. You can join the live chat. Hasn't been too lively yet. Everybody's busy. They're, they're getting ready for the rain. That must be what's going on. <laughs> At WFIU.org slash Noon Edition. Hank, you wanted to uh, comment on some things Mark said about uh, you know, the no, no lack of water in, in this area. Yeah, yeah. Mark made a very important point that in the southern part of Indiana, we see uh, a, a lack of usable groundwater. And I was uh, blowing my horn about groundwater. And, but there it is not so usable because we are in a, a system of karst uh, bedrock, uh, limestone bedrock that is fissured, that has caves. Uh, surface water is often absent. We have lost river flowing underground. But most importantly, uh, these karst aquifers, as they are called, because they, they kind of serve as surface water with a roof over them, are prone to pollution. And it is not safe to pump that water, even though it's being done uh, by domestic users, but it's really not safe. And it is not uh, suitable to be pumped on a large scale for drinking water production. It seems kind of counterintuitive that they would be prone to pollution if they've got a roof over them. (laughs) Yes, but the water is going into these these underground rivers, if you wish, through what they call sinkholes. Think of chimneys, pipes Mm -hmm. that go down into into the ground. And it is surface runoff with uh, animal waste okay. uh, and what have you sure. that is going directly into them. Sure, that yes. makes sense. Right. Okay. Our phone numbers again, 855-0811-877-285-9348. And you can join the live chat, wfiu.org slash noon edition. We have a caller, and it's Bob. Bob, go ahead. Uh, hi. Um, how is that... Uh Grippy uh, last week, and I noticed there's still a, a substantial amount of uh, water still in the reservoir. And I'm wondering, um, uh, will that be completely drained away? And if so, uh, what would happen to uh, all the wildlife that lives in it, uh, especially like turtles? We um, are we are in fact going uh, draining uh, Lake Griffey, uh, and we are going to repair the dam. We received a grant of $1.5 million from uh, the state of Indiana to um, repair the the dam and make some significant improvements to it. Uh, I am not a wildlife biologist, but my understanding is uh, both to address your question about turtles and also about fish that what we would tend to see is the as the water gets lower, there will be a pooling effect that will take place. And we have a sluice gate that is on the west end of it that leads into Bean Blossom Creek. So I, I would – my estimation would be um, that uh, turtles and, and fish would move through this sluice gate as they uh, pool down, as the water pools down. We have been – uh, doing a, a limited controlled um, uh, drawdown. Um, one of the things that we also uh, had to take into consideration this past week is the volume of rain that could come in and um, impact the dry parts of the dam. So we have opened up the sluice gates uh, uh, again to move water through. But um, my estimation um, from what I've heard talking to people is that uh, we've been doing this in a controlled way, and there's been pooling uh, at the deep end, and, and 
we anticipate uh, wildlife that would move through the, through the sluice. There's there's nothing there that I know that's like a prong or anything. So now I would say we had a guest on here not too long ago. We were talking about this very mm-hmm. issue, and and I don't think all those fish and turtles are going to make it. Maybe some of them, maybe maybe a lot of them will. But there was a discussion of how uh, it was sort of part of a natural process, and there would be a lot. It, the birds would be a lot healthier after the lake was drained. Well, I know that the DNR um, limited uh, took off the limit on fishing, um, but but clearly, I think the caller has a point about uh, turtles, and and I really don't have a hundred percent answer for him. Uh, just it's just based on anecdotal observation. Mm-hmm. All right, Bob. Thanks a lot for the call. Let's go next to Dave on the phone. Dave. <clears throat> yes. Um... I, uh, I'm surprised I, uh, that uh, you haven't maybe discussed this, uh, and I just uh, didn't get in on time. But uh, I uh, was aware about a heck of a long time ago, 20 or 30 years ago, that uh, Israel or some Mideastern country was uh, indulging in a desalinization program. Not desalinization, but desalinization, uh, taking the salt out of water. Uh, is that still going on? Hank? Yes, it is. And, and not only in Israel, but in a large number of countries, uh, most obviously in, in arid and in coastal areas. Oh, I see. It is expensive. Uh-huh. Uh, technology is improving. Mm-hmm. It takes a lot of energy. So it's not only expensive to build, it's also expensive to run. Yeah, of course. Of course, with a good deal of research and with uh, over a long period of years, it would be, you know, just like the cell phone, it become cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. Uh, they, I think uh, over many years they could work that out. Also, if we visit other uh, uh, planetary systems, uh, uh, such as the, the you know, EO and uh, Europa and so forth, we would have to do that, uh, and even possibly on Mars, we'd have to have a kind of, <clears throat> we'd have to have a, uh, a chemical situation in which we could do that. I, Sure, sure. Uh, 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 you're looking far ahead. <laughs> no, I, write, I write science. Yes, and, uh, <laughs> but, but, but I, I, en- I enjoy your imagination here. I'm a uh, here. writer. <laughs> <laughs> okay. uh, but, but desalinization is something uh, that is very much like what you sometimes have in your kitchen if you have a small uh, purification system to produce drinking water out of yeah, tap I, water, I get, I, get I rid do. of the chlorine and so forth. Yeah. Uh, that is usually done uh, by what is called a reverse osmosis. Uh-huh. Uh, and it's, a, it's a process by which under relatively high pressure water is pressed through a very fine membrane that uh, uh, resists or retains the salt molecules uh-huh. and lets fresh water through. Wow. Uh, you can also do mm. it through evaporation. Either uh-huh. way you do it, though. Uh-huh. Uh, while we, if we scale this up, we can make it cheaper per gallon. Uh-huh. Uh, there is the inner energy will still be required. Uh, if you evaporate, yeah. you need a lot of energy. If yeah. you press it through these membranes, you need to replace the membranes. You need to have high pressure pumps. It remains a relatively expensive process. I see, but still, it may become. Somebody has said that. Uh, in certain places in the in the world, uh, water is more precious than gold. <laughs> and and that's why we see indeed an uh, an proliferation of these desalinization plants. Uh-huh. Great. All right, Dave. Yeah, thank you. Thanks a lot for the call. Sure, bye. Eight five five zero eight one one in Bloomington. Eight seven seven two eight five nine three four eight outside of the Bloomington area. WFIU.org slash Noon Edition. We're talking about water today. And, oh, my gosh, we've gone from local, state, national, international, and now intergalactic. Hey. Now we, are, <laughs> we are stretching the, the limits. The sky's here. the limit. That's right. Mark, uh, oh, go ahead. oh, I just had a question for you. I remember within recent memory we had a discussion locally uh, about the possibility of a pipe being run from Indianapolis to Monroe Lake. Um, which is, I believe, its official name. Isn't that right? Isn't it Monroe Lake? Uh, yeah, yes, Monroe Lake, yes. So anyway, uh, to bring much-needed water to Indianapolis, I know you, you'll see pictures of Geist Reservoir, especially in drought times like this, and, it, and it's you know drawn quite low. So has there been any more discussion of that? I remember it went over like a lead balloon in Bloomington, as you can imagine, but um, where do the discussions on that stand? Well, I had... And they, I have heard of no additional discussions with regard to that. And because of that, actually, the, um, the program that we have that we sell water from state-owned reservoirs, like from Lake Monroe, uh, Monroe Lake, or Monroe Reservoir, however you want to term it. But um, we now have a, a more lengthy process in terms of approving contracts and updating contracts and revising contracts, much more public participation with regard to that. So um, now when we have a, a contract uh, change 
for these particular entities that pump out of the state uh, finance reservoirs. We have to go to each county to do uh, to get public input. So I have not heard of any uh, additional evaluation of mm-hmm. um, piping water to uh, to Indianapolis from Lake Monroe. We've got a couple of calls we're going to get to in a minute, but I want to ask Mark another question right before we go to the callers, and that's about uh, Lake Michigan. That's a huge lake right on our, our coastline up there on the north side. What kind of rights does Indiana have to water in Lake Michigan? Well, the uh, the Great Lakes Compact, if you're familiar with that at all, uh, was, uh, was actually entered into on Indiana's part back in uh, – um, actually, it was it was finalized in December of 2008, with all eight Great Lakes states uh, agreeing to the compact. And and it really the, the main emphasis of the compact is to prohibit diversions out of the out of the Lake Michigan or the Great Lakes basin, not just Lake Michigan. Indiana actually uh, part of the state over around uh, Fort Wayne uh, in the Maumee Basin drains to Lake Erie. So there there is a significant amount of the state of Indiana that does drain into uh, the Great Lakes Basin, and this particular compact uh, regulates water withdrawals. It uh, actually, the state of Indiana, at the time of the comp- compact approval a year before, actually became really effective. They um, we had to get like baseline values for all the facilities that are currently pumping. You kind of establish those kind of as a grandfathering for those amounts that are withdrawn from Lake Michigan and from the basin within Lake Michigan. So, but it is a compact between the Great Lakes states that. Uh, really looks to not only conserve, do water efficiency, but uh, also to minimize any diversions out of the Great Lakes Basin. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, let's go back to the phones. Uh, Phil is next in line. Phil? Okay, thank you. Um, what I have is a question about uh, water use from streams for agricultural purposes here in southern Indiana. Last couple of years have been pretty rugged. Uh, and um, some of the folks down here are looking at the possibility of using uh, river water from non-navigable streams in the area for crop irrigation. And I was wondering if uh, any of your guests might have uh, some knowledge about that or, or care to uh, comment on the possibility of that if we continue to have the kind of droughts that we've been having the last couple of years. Uh, at some point, crop insurance is just not going to be able to take up the slack if this trend continues. Um, so I'm kind of curious about uh, the options for water use uh, from streams. Mark? Certainly. That actually is a um, very topical question. Um, we have had a, a significant amount of, of contacts this year, not only from folks wanting to withdraw from streams, as you can imagine, mm-hmm. and a lot of it for, obviously, for our agricultural operations but also are folks who are concerned about people withdrawing from streams. And uh, currently in Indiana, as a riparian owner, you have the ability to withdraw water from the stream. If it's a significant water withdrawal facility like we talked about before, if it has that capacity of pumping greater than 100,000 gallons per day, then there would be the need to register that facility uh, with us. It is not a permit requirement. It's just a registration program. If the, the intake structure that's put on the stream is a permanent structure, where there is construction within the floodway of the stream, there would potentially be a requirement that they get a permit for that, not because of it being a withdrawal from the stream, but just because of the construction within the floodway. So, um, But certainly uh, a riparian owner under Indiana water law uh, has the ability to withdraw water from surface water, from streams. I, I don't know what that is. I'm sorry. A riparian owner? It means someone who owns up to the bank of the stream, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like, people who live on lakes, and I see people with those little pumps out, you know, on the uh, the the brick water there, they and they use the lake water to, to um, water their lawn. That's that's okay. Well, it, it, it could be. Um, actually, if it's a public freshwater lake, which you don't have those down here. Southern Indiana has public freshwater lakes that are regulated by the Department of Natural Resources. Um, there would be potentially a permit required if folks are pumping out of those, usually not just for domestic purposes. It would be more for, like, agricultural but um, but if they certainly are going to be lowering water levels in the lake below the legal level that's been established. But most private lakes, unless there is some type of a restriction by the lake association or something like that, but um, a lot of people obviously do use lake water for 
that purpose, yes. But back to uh, to Phil's question. It sounds like this is definitely on your radar and that you're thinking about, you know, if, if things continue, if we continue to have droughts, that taking water out of these streams in the state would be uh, something that you guys are thinking about. Certainly. And, again, it is, it's something that's not new. We have a, a lot of registered water withdrawal facilities that pump from surface water bodies, streams, and lakes. Yeah. Well, let's just hope that uh, that the droughts don't continue and uh, things get better. All right. Gentlemen, thank you for your time. Thank you, Phil. Bye. All right. 855-0811-877-285-9348. And WFIU.org slash Noon Edition. We have Paul on the line now. Paul? Hi. Um, my my question is about uh, the use of gray water uh, in order to conserve water, uh, which, which of course, would be water uh, from your sink, from your dishwasher, that sort of thing. Um, especially in the county, I, I have a, a septic here, a septic system, and I'd really like to be able to just store that water, the gray water, in a in a separate tank so I could use it for watering uh, my garden or my lawn. And I, I think there are, are laws prohibiting that in Indiana, and I wonder if, uh, if there's any, any thought about changing those laws. Mark, you go first. Well, I, and that, that um, involves more the Department of Environmental Management and maybe the local health department. But, of course, since they're not on this panel, I guess I'll <laughs> you, go ahead and fill in. You, but, yeah, well, again, we, we get these calls periodically of folks wanting to use gray water. And, uh, you know, on a larger scale, maybe um, that we had heard about earlier, about, um, you know, reusing water. Um, IDEM, the Department of Environmental Management, regulates uh, a lot of the use of gray water where it's like land applied. We may use it on a golf course or something mm-hmm. like that, potentially. Um, uh, on a local level, I would imagine that that would be something that the either county health department or state department of health would be interested in. Pat, uh, I would say that it w- a good starting point would be your your county health department uh, just to get some clarification. Uh, you know, with the water restrictions, uh, I know there are people in Bloomington that have rain barrels. Now. Right? Were they able to use that to water their? You know, yeah, the question that, right? is, how much rain do they have in the well, rain? That's true. Yeah. <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> it's, good point. Yeah. Uh, that's why we have those restrictions. Yeah. All right. right. I, I have two rain barrels, so I have 100 <laughs> gallons, but that doesn't go very far no. during a drought. No. All right. Thanks, Paul. Thank you. Appreciate it. And Rose is next. Rose? Yeah, hi. Um, I was just following up on the discussion of the gentleman who was thinking that, you know, is it is it what are the restrictions on pumping water out of streams? And people are already doing that um, right here. Well, I'm in Owen County, but I just wondered, I mean, I, I have all the sympathy in the world for somebody who's doing that because I have five horses I'm trying to water, and only this year did I get city water. I had a cistern for 35 years, and, you know, when it doesn't rain, you have to get water hauled, which is very expensive, but... Uh, you know, guys pull up with a trailer with these big containers and stick the pump in the creek and fill them up. And I mean, is that legal? I don't know. I, mean, I don't know who owns the property. If it's the public access to a creek, like on a roadway or something, I I just, I mean, I, I, I'm not criticizing it because I've got horses I have to water. I'm just wondering if there are restrictions on that and how much worse is it going to get until the streams go dry. I'll hang up and take right. my answer up there. Well, as you would imagine, that's another question we get periodically. And, um, again, as long as there's access, and, and as the caller mentioned, like off of a county road or something, um, folks that fill tankers, uh, if they have access to the stream, um, they can fill their tanks. Usually we don't require them to register because they're like a 1,000-gallon tank, and unless they're going to make 100 trips a day, they wouldn't meet that 100,000-gallon per day capability. So That's really good to know. I saw someone doing that in Lower Cascades one day, and it made me very uncomfortable. And it's funny, you know, for m- many of us who grew up in, in town, in the, in the city, how um, this protection, this idea of protecting our water sources is just kind of ingrained in our heads, even if really we haven't had any more to do with it than just simply turning on a tap. It's an interesting <laughs> cultural thing how, you know, you do have this yeah. uh, shared sense of uh, protection and uh, ownership whenever you, you know, with public water. 
Yeah, nobody here one of those people coming from Indy to take our water, That's, even though it's not yeah, our water. Even though it's not it's, our water. It's yeah. not our water, right. Oh, hey, uh, we had somebody write in who okay. said, uh, don't forget Leonard Springs back in the early 1900s. Uh, they they built IU then, or, or IU. We built Lake Griffey then to keep IU was their point. So, yeah. All right. One quick thing for Mark. Uh, is there a water shortage warning that's still in effect yes, in, in certainly. Indiana? Yes, certainly. I'm glad we're able to sneak that in there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, uh, yeah, there was a water shortage warning issued for the state. Uh, back in July 17th, uh, all 92 counties, and it is a under the water shortage plan. It's kind of the second of three phases to address a drought condition, and it uh, calls for a 10 to 15 percent voluntary reduction of water usage. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of other criteria too involved with it, but uh, which sounds like certainly Bloomington took that to heart, and uh, as was stated earlier. So, um, but it is a a, uh, a plan to coordinate response to a drought and also to look at conservation and efficiency. What's it going to take to get us out of it? This weekend, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, and again, right. the, the uh, certainly the the triggers are like the drought monitor, and you've seen that up on the news about every other day, where it shows a lot of the state being an extreme mm-hmm. drought. Um, when that those criteria change, uh, stream flow, um, some of the precipitation indices, and the drought monitor would then indicate um, that the water shortage warning would be. Uh, dissolve. But this weekend's rain could really could be enough to put us back. I think it could sure help. And there's a lot of there's part of the state that uh, isn't as bad if you look on the maps. You know, northwestern part, southeastern part. It's kind of this east west central swath of the state that's um, the extreme and exceptional drought. So um, it it'll be interesting to see how this rainfall, how much we actually get, which prediction you look at. Um, so we're going to welcome yeah. Isaac. We, yeah, right. we certainly will at the Department of Natural Resources. <laughs> In the last minute that we have, I want to turn back to Hank and really expand this uh, a little bit. You talked about the, you know, some of the global water issues. What can people here do who do have the uh, ability to you know, go to their faucet and get water? What can people here do to maybe help somebody else, who one of these 1.1 billion people who can't, don't have access to water? Yeah, well, you can go over there uh, personally and, and do something. There are, of course, uh, organizations that reach out, uh, service clubs, uh, uh, other organizations that, that can be of help. I think one of the things we need to keep in mind that um, uh, we also need to think, well, this is an election year, um, we need to think of what we can do uh, on, the, on the level of government, uh, politics. We need to realize we live in a connected world that our water shortage, our energy needs, our whatever, is not isolated from that of the world. So we need to have people in government, uh, local as well as uh, in our nation, that think globally and not just nationally. And I think that would be the best contribution to helping to relieve the world's water problem. All right. Thank you very much. I want to thank uh, Pat Murphy, Mark Bash, and Hank Heichema for being here with us today. For Mary Catherine Carmichael, producers Gretchen Frazee and Julie Raw, I'm an engineer Mike Pashkash. Don't want to forget Mike. I'm Bob Salzberg. Thanks for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922 with residential and business internet, voice, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net.